0: The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome,
2: welcome to another episode of Punt Intended, a Fantasy NBA Dynasty podcast. I'm your host, Rhett Bauer, and joined as always by my co-host, Travis Fuller. How are you doing today, Trev? Uh,
1: personally, I am doing great. As a Bulls fan, though, I could be doing a lot better. I'll tell you that. Uh, <laughs> with uh, Levine and Vooch combo not working out at the end of the year, and then just now losing our first-round pick. Uh, not looking good, but uh, that's why we do Dynasty basketball, right?
2: Yeah. We yeah, can, uh, yeah always- it is.
1: We can always be in control of our own destiny. So with that being said, we do have another article that Rhett wrote. And Rhett, why don't you tell us a little bit about that article? So last uh, article
2: we talked about was too hot. And so this one in the same lines is too cold. Uh, Basically trying to find players who closed the last month or two in a manner that was drastically different in how they finished the year. Uh, it could be bad shooting splits, low minutes, injuries, anything like that. Basically just try to find what that means for the off season, whether or not you should target somebody and, uh, what, what you should do about that moving forward. So, uh, the first couple I want to talk about, because I, this is one of my biggest rules and it's not a suggestion. It's a rule for myself. Uh, not to have injury prone players as my pillars of my dynasty teams. And so the two players I want to talk about right now are Joel Embiid and Chris Stapps Porzingis. They are really good per game. Very, very good. Any team looks better with those two on them except for those 20 games out of the year where they're on your IR because that's going to happen with both players.
1: Yeah. You know, it's going to happen going into the year. And I think that's part of owning Embiid and that's part of the process is that he's going to miss games and it's part of it, but he is a top 10 player when he is playing and he proved that even more so this year with his co MVP type season. But I'm with you 100%, and I know it's kind of a shock for people to hear that we're telling you to sell on Embiid. And it is important to preface that by saying we're not t- telling you to just sell these guys for peanuts. No. Right? What we mean by that is we're looking to get offers for these guys. We may be putting them on the trade block and trying to just find some, some value, maybe get a guy that's going to help you for the full season going to make sure that he's going to be there come playoff time and not being rested while the real NBA team is preparing for the playoffs like Embiid potentially could be throughout the season. Um, And then same with Porzingis. I mean, he's even worse than Embiid to me. Just, just a guy that his entire career just has proven to, to be able to not stay healthy, picks up those minor injuries here and there. And then now he's out two weeks, which, which is two matchups. So, uh, yeah, both those guys to me, definite, definite guys I'd be shopping. Um, but I want to go to you, Rhett with Embiid being a top 10 guy, those, you know, he's a different breed of player. Yeah. The, it, those guys are so hard to, to trade and find value for, cause you just never know what, what trade offer is good enough. So Embiid was 60th this year, which checks out because
2: he was had he played the same amount of games as Jokic he would have been the MVP of the league but he finished last month as 29th and he finished last two months as 28th and Embiid over the last couple of years has been 10th 48th and 17th in total value. So still like right around that top 20 mark for total value that, that factors in games played. So Embiid is an entirely different animal when it comes to selling. He's only 27, but I just, we just know it's coming. You know, those 15 games are coming and I, and I don't know what you do if you're, if you're a Joel Embiid owner, And you look around the league and you're getting some offers because it's going to be very difficult, darn near impossible to get even value back because everybody who's interested in Joel is going to have the, well, we know he's going to miss games counter. And you can just say, ah, you're right. Like you don't, you can't say anything to that,
1: but I I don't know. I, I just
2: feel like I'd have to
1: try. Yeah. And I, and I agree. And this is what I was going to bring up is it so difficult to trade for those consensus top 10 dynasty assets that we have to me, a guy like Embiid, I think you need to look for a player in that 20 to 30 dynasty range consensus. And then another player in the top 50, and then maybe some picks and things you can kind of fine tune that trade. But I think at minimum, that's kind of the worth to me. And, And some, some may disagree, but, that's just kind of my take on Embiid with the amount of games he's going to play and the potential that you just never know when he's going to be hurt. You never know when they're going to sit him. Yeah. If I can get uh, a top 20 to 30 type player, um, you know, somebody like Jalen Brown and then get another guy, you know, just kind of inside that top to 50 range, um, Mm you know, you know, maybe like, like take a chance on like an Isaac or, DeJunte Murray or a guy like Lonzo Ball or something like that, if I can get two players that are really solid with upside, um, I I think I would pull the trigger on that.
2: Yeah, I think I would too, uh, just because I want the most production I can have from my top players because your your per game stats might be great, but that one week, those two weeks that Embiid misses – that's a matchup. That's two matchups. That could even be three matchups. If he goes out on a Wednesday to, to a Wednesday. And that's just, if that happens at the wrong time, your season will be lost. And I think I would rather injuries happen. We know that we know that we can't predict injuries, but with some players you kind of can. (laughs) And, and that's even more true. Like you said, with Porzingis and there, if I owned Porzingis, I I wouldn't have ever owned Porzingis unless it was an absolute steal and I immediately would have tried to flip him because that's how much I would just avoid Chris Stapps as a whole. He finished 28th this year, finished the last month 119th, uh, but Porzingis over the last three years has been 77th, 25th, and 77th in total value. And that speaks so heavily to games played from him. And I just don't know if I could roster him.
1: And he's so unique when you see him there, whether it's a startup or a trade offer with him in there, and you look at his per game stats, it's so unique and he fits a lot of rosters because of what he's able to do with Mm -hmm. either three point shooting points, um, decent from the free throw line. And he gives you those blocks, you know, those ever important blocks. So he's such a unique player, but you just—I just can't look past his injury history. If if I can get a guy that's that's inside or kind of again near that top fifty range, I I would do it every time.
2: I could not agree more. Like especially if it's somebody who's a little bit younger, I I just think you roll with that upside and see what happens. Uh, honestly, I would probably trade Porzingis for somebody who was older and a bit more solid. Like I would, I would let somebody have the younger player in the deal if it meant getting somewhat similar per game production, but just way more durability. Uh, I just think that matters quite a bit. And that is a great transition into
1: the next two players. And, who And one more thing I do oh. want to mention before, and I'll let you get in there. Just given these guys, the injuries that they've had in the past as well, we don't know how it's going to affect their long term career. I know they're young. They're, you know, Porzingis is what 20, almost 26. Yeah, be 26 going into the season and be 27. They're in their prime, but we don't know how these injuries are going to affect their long term. And in Dynasty, we have to think. I always like to give uh, three to five year windows, is what I kind of think about. Where's this guy player going to be in three years? Where's this player going to be in five years? Yeah. And with a guy like Embiid, man, I really don't know. I'm not sure if his body's going to hold up as big as he is in the in the toll that it, a season can take on him. I really don't know where he'll be come 30 years old, come 32 years old. And so that kind of gets into a whole different discussion that
2: I'm sure we'll have at some point. But if you have somebody like Embiid, and it's similar to how the Sixers should be going about their offseason – you need to win now. Like if you have a top ten player right now, almost top five, at least for fantasy. Like there's a very there's a very compelling argument that you should be more all in than what a typical twenty-seven year old player might warrant, if that makes any sense.
1: Yep, it definitely does.
2: So I talked about consistency and injuries, but now we're going on the complete opposite side of the, of the spectrum and talking about Tobias Harris and CJ McCollum, two guys who never get injured and they are as consistent as it gets. So boring. In fact, that they are poster children of the Dan vespers old man squad. Shout out to Dan over at fantasy NBA today. Check him out. Love the show every single day puts out just, awesome conversation about nba and how it applies to fantasy but he's been talking a lot about his old man squad because these two players are so boring so undervalued not at all exciting and yet they both finished inside the top 30 this year so why why would they be sold then
1: yeah it's funny that we were just ripping on porzingis and Embiid for their ability to not make it through a full season and their durability, and now we got two guys who who really never miss games, and no. yet we're still saying a sell. <laughs> and the reason that is, it's all you know, it's all relative, right? What can you get for these players based off the season that they had, and based off their perceived value? And these are two guys coming off really career seasons, I would say, for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, McC- McCollum started the year off so hot, and and the reason that's why he's on this article. Um, I'm guessing it's just because he started off the season so well and then he had that injury and, and obviously he's not going to be able to keep up what he was doing for a, a full season. Um, so, so that's why he's on this list, but still had a career year, looked very good and, and just super durable. And, and he's a player that if you're in a league where you maybe not be, you're maybe not a competing team, you may not be near the top of the league. He's a guy that I'm definitely looking to sell to one of those contending teams to get a young piece back because he he is really appealing to a lot of those teams. So Tobias was 26th
2: on this season for nine cat 26th. He was a top 30 player, almost top 25, but in the last month, he was 63rd. And the last two months he was 55, which is still really solid. Like that's, you'll take it. And he's yeah. going to be 29 going into the season. Definitely more in line with what you would expect from him moving forward. Right. CJ McCollum, he will be 30 by the time the 2021 2022 season starts. He was 30th on the year, 68th in the last month, and 52 in the last two months. So these two guys were both inside the top 30, but were both outside the top 60 for the last month and outside the top 50 for the last two months. And the reason those numbers are important and the reason we talk about them as the, just like the epitome of consistency is that each of these guys for the last five seasons has averaged a top 50 finish. And so that consistency works both ways because yes, they're consistent, but they're also consistently top 50. And they just had a top 30 season. And they're going to be 30 within the next year. So I I think that alone makes it very easy for me as as an owner of one of these two players to see what is out there because, yes, players can improve until they're 30 and beyond. But I'm not willing to take that chance that they're – I'm willing to bet that they're not going to have another top 30 season.
1: Right, and you, and you don't want to be holding the, the bag, per se. Yep. And both these guys have a, a really friendly game, and both of their games should age really well. And, and that's a good selling point. Now, if you're a competing team, obviously you, you may want to just hold on to these guys. Mm-hmm. That's, you know, that's not the audience that we may be looking for here. But again, just the way that they were able to to finish the season is more in line with what you have to expect moving forward with both players. They had both career seasons. They may have another career season next year, right? They're both still in their prime. So don't feel bad if you sell and get a young piece and then Tobias Harrison's up having a career year because Ben Simmons is gone and he has even more usage or what have you. It, you know, it's, it's just part of it, I think, is, like you mentioned, trying to sell them now and getting peak value versus waiting a year or two and maybe they start that decline and, and now you're stuck with with getting a little bit less than what you could have.
2: It really all comes down to your
1: timeline
2: as a team, because for the next year, two, maybe three, because they do have friendly games, like you said, they probably will be closer to top 30 than the top 50 or 60. They, like, they had improvements in their game. This, this was a career year in threes and assists for McCollum, which a lot of that came down to how incredibly hot he was to start the season. I think he was like fourth overall or something for the first two months. Just ridiculous. I heard about it from you every single week. <laughs> and then Tobias had career highs in assists, blocks, both percentages, and was close to a career high in steals. So just across the board, improvements, and that's great. But it's also, we know what these two players are. And so, especially if you're not a contending team, being able to move some very unexciting players, and that might hurt their value. You might have a hard time getting proper value back. And at that point, it might be better to just hold, let them have as consistent of a season as they always have, and then try to sell at the trade deadline. But I think when you're selling players like this, you have to consider the timeline of your team. And if you are not going to be contending in the next year, two years, you're probably going to lose this trade until that two year window is up. And both of these guys probably start their decline while the player, hopefully young, you get back is ascending at the same time.
1: Yep. And I always like to throw out some players that, I would potentially looking at headlining a deal for either of these guys. And I'd be looking at that 60 to 75, 80 range. That's young. Uh, somebody like Deandre Hunter, who mm-hmm. who has some upside, maybe a guy like Miles Bridges, who we talked about in the other article who yeah. finished the season very well. Um, or even a guy like RJ Barrett, who I know a lot of people are still kind of down on, even though he had a, a really solid season last year. Mm-hmm. So just a few players like that, really young ascending have a lot of potential that you can trade for those consistent players like Harris or McCollum. Yep. Again,
2: timelines, that's all it comes down to. Um, And and that's just, that's just knowing your team, knowing your league. And that's, and we can't help you with that unless you reach out to us. And if you do, that's great. We'll be more than happy to help you. But other things people have been reaching out to me for is betting tips. I always get asked who you got, you know, Suns or Clippers, Jokic or Embiid. And I'll tell you what I tell them, where you bet is just as important as who you're betting on. And that's why I tell people to bet with my bookie. My bookie's rep is rock solid and they've got the best odds, contests and promotions in the business. They're the only place I trust to handle my NBA related bets. And they're the one sports book that's guaranteed to give me the best lines for all the NBA playoff games as we close out this season. I don't give out my stamp of approval easily. To earn it, you've got to be the best at what you do. And my bookie is the best sports book out there. Period. It's really simple. Sign up, enter promo code hoopball. That's H O O P B A L L, and get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. Head over to my bookie if you want to add a little excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Bet with the best. Bet with my bookie. So now. We're going to move on to a couple more bigs. We talked about Porzingis and Embiid early, but I'm going to concede the floor to you for the first big we're going to talk about here in this section.
1: Yeah, so we got one more sell here, so stick with us. I know we've been hating on a lot of players. A lot
2: of negativity. Is,
1: it's it's coming little, back up, though. Don't worry. A lot of negativity. We will bring it back up. We're going to start low, and then we're going to rise up. But we got one more here, and that man is Montrez Harrell. Hmm. So a a guy who season long rank, we have at 134, that final month finished 231. A lot of that was due to decreased playing time as the Lakers started to get healthy. Harrell was a guy that really got his minutes reduced. Uh, Obviously Andre Drummond had a huge part in that, but even the playoffs, he was basically non-existent, didn't see him on the court hardly at all. And, And that's not a good sign. Now he does have a player option. I've been reading up on that player option and it sounds like he will not be returning to the Lakers. I don't think the Lakers really care if he comes back or (laughs) not, to be honest. (laughs) I think the Lakers would, would prefer him not to so that they have some money to sign Drummond back. Uh, So it sounds like Harold probably won't be back, but he's still a sell to me while he still has that, that name. You know, when you hear Montrez Harold, you think, well, this guy's a pretty good player, right? Going to get you points. Boards, solid field goal percentage, maybe uh in and decent stocks. But I I just don't really like his overall game. I I don't think he's gonna be a player that's gonna get the 26-27 minutes that he was getting with the Clippers. I don't I think his best seasons are behind him. That sixth man of the year he wore, he won, I believe that was last year. Uh, I I don't think he's going to to be able to repeat those numbers that he had. And, and that's kind of scary to me, especially with him going into the free agency. There's a lot of bigs. We, with bigs now, you just don't know uh, you know what kind of role they're going to have when they do sign with the team. And I don't want to hate on him too much because kudos for him for being a second-round pick and being able to carve out a role in the NBA. Uh, r- really great for him. As a player, I, I like the way he plays and his hustle. But from a, a fantasy perspective, a dynasty perspective, he's already 27. He's a little bit older than what people may think. And again, just getting 22 minutes last year, that's kind of the role I see for him moving forward is being in that 20 to 24 minute range for teams coming off the bench. And it's just, I, you can just find that on the waiver wire, you, you know, his stats that he puts up 13.6 boards, not really going to get you a ton of steals, not really getting you a ton of blocks, like 0.6.7 each, um, maybe yeah. a little bit more with the blocks department, if he can get those minutes up and, and find some time with an injury or what have you. But really for where he's at and, and the name that he has, I would rather have a guy like Nerlens Noel who might be available on your wa- waiver wire right now. And so for me, if you can get any value out of Montrez Harrell, I would absolutely try and do so just because if you look at his numbers and compare them to other players that even play less minutes than him, you're going to be better off just getting some value from him and going with that other player. It's not great when your biggest skills
2: as a basketball player are athleticism and hustle, and that's that's pretty much that's very diminishing. What Montrezl Harrell does, he's a very good basketball player, and in the right role, can be very valuable for a team that doesn't have postseason aspirations, but. <laughs> I think it's just he's just a player that's replaceable. Travis said it, and I don't think he's going to be a priority for any team. He got 18 minutes a game in those last two months. And I don't think that's far off from what he could get next year. He's just not going to be a priority, whether it comes to minutes or signing him. Because Normally, when somebody's a free agent, they decline their player options because there's going to be a market for them. They're going to be heavily pursued in the offseason. That's potentially what Chris Paul is going to do because he knows he's a hot commodity and he can take advantage of that. Trez is doing it because he didn't get an, he didn't get any opportunity to close out the season. And it was kind of justified because he just wasn't, it just wasn't what the Lakers were looking for. And that is not a surprise. Like Travis said, you know, not great steals, not great blocks, negligible assists, not great free throw percentage. So you're really only looking at three categories that he contributes positively to. And the the variance that he can have in contributing to those relies solely on minutes. And if he's not going to be a priority, if he's you know he's going to be a backup, I just don't you definitely want to get off of him before it's too late because that that decline is going to come fast.
1: That's that's exactly right. And that's my total my whole point really is he just makes me super nervous moving forward with with those minutes being dropped off. He he went through free agency last year and was only able to get a 2-year deal with with the option. And and part of that may have been cuz he wanted to play for the Lakers. That that may be or that more than likely to me was probably just not a huge market for him overall and I don't see a huge market for him again this year and that just makes me really nervous so if you can extract some value for him this year while you can maybe play while he's a free agent and might sign with the team where he can get big minutes maybe it was just a down year
2: because of minutes and you know the drumming exactly.
1: blah 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 he's if only you 27 can, if you can play that card and sell him for a younger big I would definitely do that if you can get a guy um, two guys again we talked about Ah, uh, Jackson Hayes and Mobamba. Yep. if you can get either Easily. one of them, I would absolutely spring for that. or even a maybe a, a lesser player like Daniel Gafford, who has shown a little bit of potential uh, with that wizards team, I would do something like that too. those Those are just kind of shot in the dark players that I would be looking at to trade Harold for. Um, and then obviously, you got draft picks as well that that can be had for him, too. So definitely explore your options with Harold. He makes me really nervous moving forward. Uh, just based on his play, the decrease in minutes, and just the type of player he is—being replaceable and and not not a guy you're going to throw money at to play big minutes.
2: And again, we could very well be wrong on him next year, the year after. He could be back into the top 100 because he gets 24 minutes a game in Sacramento, for instance. But I would be, I would put a not insignificant amount of money. If my bookie had an option to where Montrezl <laughs> would be outside the top 200 for fantasy in his age 29 season, like I would have no problem doing that because I just don't trust his game.
1: Yeah, and if you can't get anything for him, like if somebody's offering you a third round pick for him or something like that, I would hold and and take take the chance on him hitting with a team where he can get those minutes. But um, like like we said, it's. It's all depends on your league and what you can do, but he's absolutely on my trade block. I'm shopping him with yeah. any team that has any sort of aspirations. Maybe they need boards, field goal percentage, anything that he's strong at. Mainly those two, I would absolutely be shopping him to those teams.
2: The guy in our league who has Montrez Harrell is adding him onto every single trade possible to try and get <laughs> like a first round pick or something like that. We'll have a deal, a deal negotiated, and he'd be like, "Well, what if I add Montrez and you add?" Mo Bamba, RJ Hampton, O'Shea Brissett, like all of that stuff. And it's just like, I don't really want Montrezl Harrell right now. Like, even if those guys aren't equal value, I just don't want, I just don't want to, I don't want him to be my problem. But now let's get into some happy thoughts. There happy go. thoughts. A couple bigs, really just the one I think we're going to focus on that we're going to buy is Rashawn Holmes. Now, He's going to be 28 this season. And we just got talking about Montrez as a sell because he's 27. So what makes Rashawn different? First things first, he finished 33 this year, 33rd overall. Secondly, he is somebody teams will make a priority because he's an actually good basketball player. On both ends of the floor, he's... He is an above average center in my eyes. Am I biased because I own him? Maybe. But I also watched a good amount of Rashawn Holmes because he's just a fun player to watch. And I think that right now, with his last month being outside the top 100, 103, and his last two months being 76th, there's a window of opportunity where you can go buy Rashawn Holmes and get a potential top 40 player for the next two or three years at a discount.
1: And yeah, not have to play very much for him because of his age or because he's maybe not going to land in the best spot, but he's a guy that doesn't need a ton of minutes. He doesn't need 30 minutes to be a top 100 top 80 guy. Even Uh, he, he He will need that much to be the top 40, but not to be fantasy relevant, which matters. Exactly. Yep, and he, absolutely. And I'm not. I'm not a huge. I wasn't big on him to be honest. He was a guy I was very wrong on when he became that starter. I thought I was still a, a Bagley guy. I thought now nah, Bagley's better at the five. He's going to eventually just take over, and he didn't because they were obviously a much better team with Holmes on there. And Holmes proved to be a pretty good player. And my favorite thing with Biggs is I love centers and power forwards that can shoot from the free throw line. And he's a guy that's not going to hurt you there. And I think that's super impressive that he can boards and yet still shoot almost 80% from the free throw line. I think that's fantastic. And I would absolutely be buying him just due to that fact that he's not going to be able to hurt you really anywhere across the board. There are very
2: few players out there who can be a field goal percent anchor and still be a neutral value in free throw percentage. That is a very rare combination. And not only that, he also got 1.6 blocks, which is not something to turn your nose up at, but looking at the players who get, who have high field goal percentage, there's really only a couple of, who even have neutral value when it comes to free throw percentage. And a lot of those guys are like Ivita Zubac who plays 21 minutes a game. And so to get somebody like Rashawn Holmes, who didn't even play 30 minutes a game this year, he was at 29.4 minutes a game. And to get somebody like that, who is 27, he will be 28, but he's going to be a free agent this summer. Teams will be making him a priority. I've heard a lot of things about Charlotte, uh, Toronto, both with desperate, desperate big man needs. Lots of teams if he need the goes five. There, he will be the guy at the five with no games that the Kings might try to play. Like, oh, we need to just run Bagley at the five. And then you got Rashawn playing 28 minutes a game, 27 minutes a game. He would still be fantasy relevant, but he's not going to be top 40. I think if he goes to Toronto, Charlotte, anything like that, he could easily stay inside the top 40 like he did this year. And I am absolutely, if I didn't already own him, would be going hard after Rashawn Holmes, pointing to the 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 top 70-ish, top 100-ish last month, two months that he finished and trying to extract from value there.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and like I said, with him being able to shoot from the free throw line, he's not going to be a liability for teams towards the end of games and that's where you see a lot of guys get a lot of minutes is those the final you know four six to six minutes of an nba game where you see different guys in there all the time and he's a guy you don't have to take out because he might be a liability from the free throw line he's a guy that's a really good defender and doesn't foul a ton so that's another thing of of where his minutes can stay where they're at or see a slight bump is he can just stay in the game um due to those that skill set that he has so definitely be putting some feelers out for him. I like his game. He's not going to hurt you anywhere. If you know, if you have a, uh, a, even if you have a field goal percentage punt and you're going for free throws, he's a guy that's not going to hurt you there and you have to have a center in most leagues. So perfect fit for pretty much every team.
2: And I think I I want to hit on this again. There is something to rostering good players and we're going to talk about it in the future in another episode, but He's a good player. Rostering good players is a good way to go about winning your fantasy leagues because that opportunity is going to be there. But moving on to some more positivity, you know, I'm going to clear the floor out again for you because this is your guy. But now we're going to move on to some wings. Trav, who's the first wing that you were trying to buy?
1: So I'm going to take some pushback probably on this one Mm. and – that's because I think he had such a bad year. And in the media, awesome. he was perceived as having just an atrocious season. But if you look at the numbers, they really weren't terrible or too far off from his career. And that player is Kelly Oubre. Now, I, I know a lot of you might have just, the- <laughs> just lost half our listeners right there. But regardless, he. so we all know how we started the season off. That first month, month and a half, was just horrible. I I think he made like three threes. He just couldn't shoot from deep total across like eight (laughs) games. Total. He was for 19 or something to start the season. Just absolutely atrocious. He had a really hard time fitting in Steve Kerr's system, looked really lost out there in the few games that I watched. He looked really lost. He'd have wide open threes and just bricked them. He did not look comfortable whatsoever. But then things got better. So I want to point out two different things here. And I think this is really what's going to kind of put it all together. So from the start of the season through January, he shot 37% from the field. And I don't even know what he shot from three, but I'm pretty sure it was right around like 20 to 25%. Couldn't have been much better than that. From February 1st towards till the end of this season, he shot 47%. Mm. And you really have to take that into account. Because he was on a new team, he was trying to fit in next to Steph, which to me would be a very difficult player to kind of fit in and get the feel with because Steph is such an offensive threat. And, and Oubre is kind of a dynamic player, right? He's either a, a catch-and-shoot, three-point shooter, or he gets the ball in his hands and he's a good slasher. So I, I could see some difficulty playing next to Steph. And we know Steve Kerr's system that he runs there. Uh, that motion offense, that pl- everybody's a playmaker type offense, it, it can be a pretty difficult for a player to just step into and, and have the confidence to go out there. So I cut Ubre a lot of slack. I don't know about you, Rep, but I, he was a player, I'm pretty sure it was like back in December after like the first two weeks. I was trying to buy him. So you low were on the owner. Oh, it was man. disrespectful, he, honestly. It, it, it was. And I, I think I burned that bridge with him for the rest of the season. But Regardless, he was a guy I was really trying to buy low on throughout pretty much the whole season because his name was just, just thrown in the mud. But he finished the season quite well. And if you look at his numbers, you know he finished 15, 6, and 1 with a steal and 0.8 blocks. And then if you look at his career season that he had, he played four more minutes in that career year, and he had 18 points, six boards, 1.3 steals, and again around like 0.7, 0.8 blocks. So. Not really far off from his career highs that he had. And again, he finished the season really well. Now the reason he is on this list is so he finished the season overall 120, but that final month he was outside the top of 400, But because yeah, he was 405 and not relevant. Not really relevant. Yeah. He he made the list because we really wanted to make a point to talk about him. Uh mainly because of the the injuries that he had at the end of the season, he was kind of faded out of that that system, faded out off away from the team. We we know he's probably gone. He's going to get a solid contract. I think he's going to get money kind of like uh, Bogdan Bogdanovich got this year. I think he's going to get something similar along those lines. So he's going to get the playing time. If somebody's going to invest in him, he's going to get the playing time. He's a he's a solid player. He's going to get you steals. He's going to get you points for a guy that plays small forward uh, he's going to get you boards as well so um, that's pretty solid he's going to shoot the three ball I think a little bit better next year too and the only thing he really hurts you on is the free throw percentage and he was really bad that really dragged down his value as well as he shot just under 70 percent from the three free throw line so I think that does improve that's really not his norm he's up there around 75 percent still not good but much better than he did this year he's a guy because of how bad of a season he had this year that was portrayed, you might be able to, to just buy him pretty low. Uh, Maybe somebody outside the top 100, you might be able to get for him. So I would definitely be keeping my eyes out trying to, I'm going to maybe just send a quick text right now and and see how (laughs) the, uh, see if I'm back in the guy's good graces and try and get him back. But no, definitely, definitely a guy I'm looking to buy. You're not, I can tell you. But
2: <laughs> this, the whole premise of this article was finding players who had a month or two month stretch that was cold. Kelly Oubre had a seven month stretch that was too cold. It was the entire season. So like Travis said, 120 on the year. Last year, he was 50th. The year before that, he was 87. And if you look at it, it's kind of the opposite of Tobias Harris because. Some of it was minutes driven because his, like Travis said, the 50 overall season he had, he was playing almost 35 minutes a game, which is pretty unsustainable um, in most cases. But he was just slightly down on points, slightly down on threes, slightly down on rebounds, a little bit down on assists, steals blocks just across the board. And then both percentages were down as well. And he had a, career worst sorry no not career worst but the worst free throw percentage he's had in the last five years by a good amount like you said he's normally around 75 he's actually better than that he was 78 last year 78 the year before that 82 the year before that so for him to be under 70 percent is just that's not going to stay put I think that speaks a lot to the confidence that he was struggling with early because he shot 26% for the first two months of the season from three. And that can just get into your head. We watched it with Ben Simmons. That was, it gets in your head like that. So I do think there's a very good chance that he bounces back. I would be very surprised if he was outside the top 100 next year because he is a free agent. I think he's gonna if he stays with the Warriors and he gets like a ten million dollar contract, he'll cost like forty million a year or something like that in the luxury tax that they're gonna have to pay. Yeah. So I'm not sure if he stays there, but he's a wing player. And we know how rare wing players are in today's NBA, how important they are, and when they hit the market, they generally get overpaid. And I think the Bogdan Bogdanovich contract would be a little bit much for Ubre. But at the same time, Oubre is 25 and a half. He's not even 26 yet. So it would not be a surprise at all for him to get four years, 64 million and go to a team like, I don't know. What do you think? Sacramento? Sacramento could use some wings, you know, just like any team like that where they're just going to throw 17 million a year at him and let him run wild for 32 minutes a game and put him back in the top 70.
1: Yeah, he really is a player that can help every team. I mean, any team can, can use a player like Uber, who's who kind of gets in your face. He brings that intensity and he's been a good defender throughout his entire career, really lanky. So any team can use him. I think he's going to find a good landing spot. I hope he finds a good landing spot. He just wasn't a good fit there in golden state, uh, but he did. He was able to turn his season around. So don't look past that ugly start and don't look past him being hurt towards the end of the season. Look at that nice middle, that gravy from February to about May where he was just the normal tsunami poppy. So definitely be buying him. Uh, I'm going to try and buy him. I am all over him. I love his steals. I love his threes. I I love that combo that he can get you. So I'm all about three and D guys though. So you know me. That's true.
2: Even in his 2018-19 season, he was only playing 28 minutes a game for Phoenix. He was 87th on the year. 1.2 1.2 steals, 45% from the field, 78% from the line. So he doesn't need a, a full healthy serving of 32 minutes a game to be fantasy relevant. And he's a wing, so we know that he's going to get some opportunity. The next guy I want to talk about is a guy who will have absolutely no trouble getting opportunity as soon as he's healthy. And that is Pascal Siakam, who finished the year – 48th overall in nine cat the last month was 111 in the last two months was 50th and I know you may be saying well Rhett he was hurt for the last month of the season so that ranking shouldn't count just like Ubre, that's not true because he played nine games in that last month where he was 111th and he had shoulder surgery a week or two ago and his recovery timeline timeline puts him as a return for the middle of December the season will have started by then And it could be that the Raptors will – he's their star player. He's on a max contract. He made All-NBA two years ago. They're going to make sure he's completely healthy, and it's a shoulder. So that can be a little bit finicky. I am absolutely trying to buy Pascal Siakam. He's only 27, which matters for him because he doesn't rely on athleticism as much as someone like Montrez does. But I just – I think that he's a priority for the Raptors. I think Kyle Lowry will end up gone now that the Toronto, now that the Raptors had the fourth overall pick. So that could mean more usage for Siakam when he does return. And I think with his injury, surgery, timetable unclear, maybe even missing the start of the season, I think you could probably get him as a discount, even though he's a top 40 dynasty asset.
1: Yeah. And and last year he really had a good season overall. Like you mentioned, he finished inside the top fifty overall. So, so I mean, we really don't have anything to complain about for him, other than you know he just finished the season a little poorly. The Raptors were bad. He probably he wasn't didn't have a lot to play for. That's also um, important. The Raptors were it, terrible. Yeah, they they didn't expect to be that bad, right? They you know have been a a pretty solid team the past you know three to five years. So, I think that has a lot to do with it. You know, just a sluggish finish. I'm not sure the minutes that he got to finish the season in that time frame that we're looking at. I I would imagine they're less than the 35 minutes he averaged throughout the entire season. But he's a player that, like you mentioned, is 27, but he's still getting better. You know, he averaged uh, assists more than he did last year. He increased his steals by a small margin. His free throw percentage has gotten better every year that he's been in the league. So he's a player that's still getting better. He was a raw prospect coming in. And I think the improvements that he's shown are there to stay. And he's entering his prime. Like you mentioned, Lowry. I think Lowry's gone for sure. Yep. Uh, I, I don't see why they would retain him even more so now that they have the fourth pick. I think that's even more reason to, mm-hmm. to not spend on Lowry. So Siakam's usage is going to be there. He's the guy. And I see the stats that he put up last year as being kind of the, the baseline moving forward for him the next three to five years during his quote-unquote prime season. So I do like Siakam as well. I, I don't see why anybody would be selling him low based on the season that he had last year. But you never know. You They might have somebody that was in the fantasy playoffs and frustrated with his play towards the end of the season. So he, yeah, he's definitely a, a player that we're all looking at, and if he's available in your league to go get. It's funny because we
2: say that no one should be selling low, but there are some very, very reactionary Dynasty GMs out there. We have a couple, specifically one in our league, who there will be a guy who will play 26 minutes a game because their enti- the entire starting lineup for the Pistons is hurt, and he'll go pick out Saban Lee and be up in the chat talking about top 60 the rest of the year, all that stuff. And then he'll drop him the very next day because turns out Saban Lee is not actually good. The Pistons were just missing everybody. So there's some extremely reactionary GMs out there. And yes, it's a dynasty, so it should be longer-term thinking. Not everybody does that. And that's why we're here to tell you to be doing that. Because you need to find who those managers are and you need to take advantage of them for as much as you can before they figure out how silly it is to sell low on Pascal Siakam because he ended the season with a shoulder injury and might miss the first two weeks of one season at age 27.
1: And yeah, who knows? You never know. Uh, An owner might be looking at your article and and see how Siakam finished the season and get a little scared and might, uh, might just put him on the block. So you never know. Again, it's just about finding that value. We're just here giving
2: names, giving justification for it. You have to find that value. This is not an all-encompassing list of every player you should target. It's just a list of players that are worth inquiring about. And not to mention, there's a whole lot more in the article that I covered that we did not talk about here. Paul George, Clint Capella, Brandon Ingram, Jared Allen, DeAnthony Melton, all guys that are on the list, their numbers are interesting to look at. Their justifications are interesting to look at. Please go check it out at hoopball.com, hoop-ball.com. Uh, check out the article. I think it's pretty good. It's very interesting. Gives you a, a couple things to chew on for this off season. And while you're there, give us a five-star review. You know, we're out here trying to put out as much dynasty content as we can. Five-star reviews, wherever you get your podcasts would be very helpful. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, put those out there in review as well. We'll be more than happy to address those. And if you have any comments about your team, about deals you have, feel free to come at me on Twitter at Rhett underscore Bauer, R-H-E-T-T underscore B-A-U-E-R. I have more than enough time to deal with, uh, with whatever questions you guys have, whether it's individual players, trades, pickups, draft, all of that stuff. And I'll, definitely talk about it with Trav through text and it might even make the podcast on the next episode. So we'd love to hear from you, but Trav, we you love got anything all. else? You, we we, we absolutely love it all. Love we, it all. it, it, it makes much.
1: our, it makes our just our day jobs go by so much faster that we can take two hours discussing trade posts that we see posted or, or tweeted to you. So
2: I'm confident we, my employer doesn't listen to this yet. But in <laughs> case they
1: do, it has not been two
2: hours. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we absolutely love it. We eat it up. So Definitely be texting us, tweeting us, whatever, whatever your form of medium is. Let us know if you have any questions, trade offers. We always like to discuss and, and even a trade offer that, uh, that, you know, you're going to accept, but just want that little bit of recognition from somebody. Absolutely. Uh, we, if you flee we, somebody, we will <laughs> let you know,
2: we will be excited for you and probably we love ask that. to join your league.
1: We love that too. So,
2: <laughs> all right. Well, thank you guys very much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again next time.